0: One. The
1: package being it's basically synonymous with all the boomer fear-mongering surrounding the internet. Deep web, dark web, scary web, tales of an open hitman market, cannibals, international terrorist forums. The dark web gets a lot of accusations. And while there is legitimately some creepy shit to find there, there's a lot of misconceptions. Today on Cyber, we have Emily Wilson, VP of Research at Digital Risk Protection Provider, Terbium Labs, and a hardcore expert on all things dark web to tell us what's actually on there and how it's really being used in 2020. I'm Ben Maku, and you're listening to Cyber. So Emily, thanks for coming on the show.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: And you know, I've been meaning to do this episode because... I think there's a lot of boomers out there and people who generally are just afraid of the dark web or the deep web or the shadow web. I don't know. how There's so many ways of putting it. Tonight, Team 10 is getting an exclusive look at the dark web. It's the internet below the internet where all of your personal information is bought and sold. You can hire a hacker to destroy someone's life or to
0: buy illegal drugs with a few clicks. Yeah, no, yeah, I, I feel like every time I have this conversation with someone, there's some new, more enigmatic, slightly more frightening term people have come up with for it. Uh, it's a it's a poorly understood part of the Internet, which makes it really great for, uh, you know, figuring out the scariest possible thing you could project onto it.
1: Yeah, it just it seems like it's the boogeyman of the Internet.
0: It is, which is really great for people who are writing uh, TV shows and movies or people who want to make something up. Because when you have something like the dark web, right, and it's always said in those terms, then whatever you say is happening on there, you know, you have live human auctions or you can go eavesdrop on ISIS. People will believe you because it's unfamiliar to them. Um, And we've seen enough frightening things with technology over time that it seems plausible. Um, And uh, I'm sorry to say that's just not true.
1: And you just know, because I've never watched the show, because I would rather just swallow (laughs) thumbtacks, but you just know CSI Cyber? That's the thing, right? You just know Um, that they dove into that one.
2: I'm a behavioral scientist. Fancy for a human lie detector.
0: I work crimes that start in the mind, live online. I'm a cyber cop. Yeah, no, I was watching a show recently that I thought would be some good escapism and I got two episodes in and all of a sudden it was, oh, no, he's a he's elite hacker from the dark web. And I'm like,
1: oh, oh man. God, what what show? Gonna... Come on, tell me, tell me.
0: Blind spot. What is that? Uh, it is a, it's a, it's an interesting show on who I started watching it because going to show my nerd credits here. Uh, there's a character from a D and D Twitch channel that I really like who's also on the show. And I thought, Hey, this is like an interesting FBI drama. And then the dark web showed up and I had to just,
1: you had to, you had stop. to, yeah, you had to <laughs> fade into the ether like, bye.
0: I did. I did.
1: Okay. So, so tell me, let's just, let's define it. What is the dark web? What is the deep web?
0: Sure. So the dark web, the deep web, the clear web, the surface web, um, it's the internet, which is not the answer that anyone wants to hear, right? Because it takes all the mystery away. Um, These are all just parts of the internet. And at least when it comes to the clear web and the deep web, these are parts of the internet that we use every day. You know, when you um, grab your phone in the morning and you check the weather, you check sports scores, you check the news, that's the clear web. The deep web, which you know many people have seen this iceberg graphic that shows the hidden part of the internet under the water waiting to get you, where in this scenario you are the Titanic, um, is also part of the internet that we use every day. There are more pages to it than sort of the clear web or the surface web. Um, but the reason that we don't see those is largely for security purposes. You know, when I, um, when I log on to my bank account... I can see my account summary page. I have to use my credentials to get to that page. Um, But you couldn't get to that page on Google if you tried to get to it, at least not if my bank is doing their job properly, which is something we can't take for granted anymore. Um, But that's part of the deep web. When we log into our social media accounts or we connect to our our intranets at work, those are all parts of the internet. They're just not parts of the internet you can get to very easily. Um, And so we can see why things like that wouldn't show up on Google or other search engines. And then there's the dark web of course. Also just part of the internet. Um, But it's one step removed. You can't get to it on Google. You can't accidentally stumble your way onto the dark web. Uh, You might need something like a special browser in the case of, of the Tor network, one of the most popular dark web networks, but the way that you get to it is you visit the Tor Project website, and the Tor Project does great work on privacy and security. Everyone should check them out. You visit their website, you download the Tor browser, which is just a variant of the Firefox browser that many people use every day. Um, you download it, you install it, and it allows you to browse the internet through the dark web network. It has some baked in privacy and security to make it more difficult to see um, where you're coming from in the world and to stop people from tracking your internet activity. But that's it. Congratulations. You're on the dark web. It takes five minutes.
1: So essentially what it is, you're still using the same internet connections and all of that, but it's just onto a enclosed, more secure system that isn't used as popularly and broadly on the clear web.
0: Exactly. And as part of being part of that uh, that more enclosed system, there are some. Uh, at least in the case of the Tor network, there are some some nice pieces that makes it harder for you to be tracked, right? This is a system that was designed for privacy and security, and those are neutral goals. Those are valuable to people who are looking to stay safe in a part of the world where their traffic might be monitored by authorities, um, as it is for criminals who are looking to sell off uh, social security numbers.
2: By using an underground network called Tor, which hides the identity of whoever is using it by bouncing web traffic among servers around the world. Andrew Luman, who runs the Tor network, says it also allows people in oppressed nations to avoid censorship.
0: So instead of someone being able to say that I'm sitting here in Baltimore and someone from my IP address in Baltimore is trying to access a website, your traffic is going to be encrypted multiple times over and routed through a bunch of different parts of the world. It might bounce through Canada and France and Germany before coming out onto the internet from Switzerland. Um, and that's a really great way to stay safe and to stay private, um, which sort of bene- benefits both sides of the aisle.
1: And there has been some pretty you know, notable black markets that have been used on these dark web sites before in the past.
0: Absolutely. This technology, you know, again, just reminding folks that the technology is neutral, but criminals have been co-opting technology for their advantage for as long as there's been technology, right? They continue to adapt um, and they continue to build these empires. One notable example of this is, is Silk Road, which is a dark web market, you know, of infamy that most people have heard of.
2: In its three-count complaint, the government says a man known as the Dread Pirate Roberts was able to rake in $80 million in two years through an illegal site he created, a secretive online marketplace for drugs, one so perfect that it could make the street corner dealer obsolete.
0: And the reason that Silk Road stands out is because it was the first in now several generations of dark web markets to combine this. this privacy technology that I'm describing with the with the dark website with something else that brings anonymity, cryptocurrency, um, and putting those into one criminal e-commerce platform to allow people to be private while they're browsing and to pay anonymously, which created a sort of a closed loop model. So people weren't, you know, paying with PayPal or Western Union, which is really good for the police. It's a great way to get caught. Silk Road was the first market to find a way Beyond that um, and make the criminal model, dare I say, a bit more sustainable.
1: And, you know, it was famously a place you could buy drugs. And, uh, you know, I know that the founder got wrapped up in this in some weird way, but there was talk of people could you could buy hitmen on this this website.
0: The Internet has a little known and mysterious twin known as the dark web. It's a place where online services offering illicit drugs and hitmen are just one click away. It is a It is a perpetual myth of the internet. Perpetual (laughs) myth. A perpetual myth. And I think, you know, something that uh, I would encourage, I would strongly encourage listeners to think about a little bit more is that um, people are scammers on the internet. People are scammers on the regular internet, right? You get weird links for off-market Ray-Bans you can get for 10 bucks. People are scammers on the dark web. If you say, hey, I can provide hitman services to you, I just need a deposit first, that's a really good way to make money and defraud people. You don't have to follow up with it. And you can, you know, in some cases, people would use that information. They'd get a deposit and they would get the hit information. And then they would blackmail people for the rest of the money because, hey, if you don't pay us more, we're going to take this to the police and let them know that you're trying to order a hit on your neighbor.
1: I also remember when it was the early days of this, there was like this really stupid website for on the dark web that was like it was a hitman service and it literally used the images from the movie hitman.
0: Oh, yeah. No. Do you remember
1: that? <laughs> I was like, this can't be real. Come on, guys. Like, yeah, really? The
0: branding on the dark web is very Web 2.0 at best. <laughs> um, you know, one thing I I appreciate, some of these sites don't take themselves too seriously. You know, some of the Russian fraud forums will decorate for Christmas. They'll have like a, a Santa and sort of like a snow GIF effect in the background of the forum where they're all trying to trade stolen credit cards. People use popular branding for their value. Uh, their Gender names or their shop locations or whatever, you know, there's a uh, there's a Mike Tyson carding shop. There's a Donald Trump carding shop. You know, they know how to play this branding game. They're they're just trying to make money and they know how to get your attention.
1: Absolutely. And also, you know, I think it's also worth worth mentioning that while there's a lot of stupid stuff on the dark web, there's also some pretty nefarious stuff on it.
0: There is. Yeah. You know, I think people have this idea of all of these, uh, these terrible things that you could possibly do. And they're a little disappointed when they find out that you can't, you know, go participate in a live human auction, for example. Um, but they sort of skip over the fact that, you know, you can buy any kind of identity information that you want at pennies on the dollar and you can get wholesale discounts on stolen credit cards, you know, and by the way, Uh, you know, people are selling off information on infants and children, you know, just because it's not the big scary thing that we have decided it looks like in movies doesn't mean that it isn't problematic and deeply concerning.
1: So what are some of the, you know, the actual bad things you found monitoring the dark web?
0: I mean, (laughs) I have to say, you know. In, in this job, bad is a relative term. Uh, working on the dark web definitely changes your perspective on what bad looks like. You know, I'm I'm certainly very lucky in the work that I do day to day, which is really focused on fraud data. I don't have to work with any of the, the child exploitation materials. There are a lot of people um, who are doing really good work trying to shut those sites down, but child exploitation material does exist. Um, it's largely kept separate. I should say from the fraud material or the drugs or the malware, those communities not only sort of hate each other, but they all hate child abusers even more. It's sort of a, uh, kind of a prison prison effect. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. If you show up in the wrong place, not only are you going to like, you know, getting told off is the beginning of your problem. Like they're going to find you and they're going to make sure the police know about you. Um, besides the child exploitation, you know, it is concerning to see, uh, something I talk about a lot is just child data being sold, not anything having to do with physical abuse of any type, but people are just selling off children's records, um, from hospitals or government agencies. You know, when you're, when you're an infant, there are a limited number of places your information can be held. Um, so seeing that kind of data circulate is problematic. Um, and also just seeing frankly, the, the sheer tonnage of records, that are in circulation. Social security numbers, voter databases, um, bank accounts, video streaming accounts, travel accommodations, and again, wholesale discounts on payment cards. If you buy enough credit cards, they'll give you a bulk discount, right? This is it's an economy. This is not some sort of, you know, sloppy back alley deal. These are well-structured e-commerce platforms with reviews and dispute mechanisms. There is an entire economy for stolen information. Um, and it's it's lucrative and it's and it's robust. And we don't hear anybody talking about it,
1: and I imagine things like stalkerware and revenge porn also flourish on these types of sites,
0: absolutely. Um, you know, there are certain communities where it is a little bit more prevalent, but it's it's reasonable to assume that these communities are overlapping. And you can, you know, there are certainly places where you can get more sophisticated um, malware or ransomware or whatever you're looking for. But you can also just buy, you know, people sell guides on how to do crime, right? You can go buy guides covering everything from how to hack someone's Facebook account. So really good for for stalking or for uh, for blackmail of some kind or even just vandalism to, you know, how to bypass customer service protocols at a bank or how to use this glitch in the software to open fraudulent bank accounts, how to do SIM swapping. You know, it really lowers the barrier to entry for criminals. And, and in these guides, they even have referral links, you know, Hey, if you're looking to do this kind of scheme, you're going to need some social security numbers. If you don't have any, my buddy is selling them, but make sure that you use my referral code. So I get a kickback. Right. It's it's a whole system. They have they have a whole system in place to make sure that they're making money, to make sure that their friends are making money and to help each other do this, to help each other build uh, tradecraft on how to do crime.
1: And how do the authorities keep track of all this and trace the dark web?
0: you know it's 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 difficult work and law enforcement has been doing a really good job of this over the last few years you know we've seen a lot of major takedowns not only of major dark web markets things like alpha bay and hansa which were taken down you know alpha bay people hear about silk road but alpha bay is still the largest dark web market we have ever seen it was the amazon of the dark web um and they took it down in this big coordinated law enforcement effort, um, involving a a bunch of, you know, international factions. And that was a huge blow for about a month. And then everybody picked back up. Um, and so law enforcement, even when they're having these big successes and taking these markets down, criminals and and vendors and even market administrators are used to a certain amount of instability being baked into the work that they do. And they found that this model is successful. These markets or these shops are successful. And so as long as they lay low a little bit, as long as they learn from um, you know, the mistakes that then led law enforcement to being able to take down their predecessors – they just pick back up again. You know, they keep regenerating. There are these new generations of markets that have different security features, and you know, it it all just keeps turning.
1: Well, it's interesting because you know, in in 2020, we're looking back at a period of the internet for the last you know 20 years, where it's it's you know it's popularly used as a tool. It's part of our society. And something like the dark web, it's never left, right? People think it was this new creation. It's just been this backbone of our internet usage for years. I mean, we were talking earlier. It's just like it's like Skype. It just never goes away. <laughs> it's always there. No, it, always it never there. goes
0: away. <laughs> and, uh, you know, it's interesting for me to see the rise in popularity for everyday internet users to maybe turn to the dark web as a privacy or as a security tool. Um, as we're seeing more and more headlines, you know, I know Vice is doing a lot of good work in covering this about sort of predatory data collection at a, at a commercial level. Right. And so people are looking for ways to avoid uh, you know, the ever-growing surveillance state or to have their information tracked by different marketing services or different, you know, internet tools. People turning to the dark web as a tool for that, um, as a way to keep themselves private and secure. Meanwhile, criminals, in addition to sort of their, you know, their markets that keep churning, are spreading out onto social media, right? They're getting more blatant about this. They're not just operating on dark websites, they're also operating on dot coms or in Facebook groups. And what an interesting way to expand the market right for your goods and services for someone who maybe wouldn't have gone onto a dark website and tumbled some Bitcoin to buy your stolen accounts. But hey, if you meet them in a Facebook group and say, you know, this big show is coming back on. Uh, wouldn't you love to have credentials for the streaming service that you're not subscribed to? Hey, I can do that for you. Just send me 20 bucks. You know, it, it starts to change who this might be appealing to.
1: Right. I mean, it's, I guess to put it bluntly, it's sort of like, you know, it's not people selling arms to barbecue, human arms to barbecue. It's like yeah. people selling mass data and things like credentials to streaming services and drugs it's yeah. it's almost no, it's- as if it's sort of <laughs> regulated itself into almost what human beings are uh, look to do on a regular basis on the open internet <laughs>
0: Exactly. And I think that's the thing. You know, people don't give these communities credit for being self-regulating. You know, the the drug community, by and large, on the dark web is a, you know, self-policing institution where people are really focused on safety and on harm reduction. People are posting reviews to talk about purity and about dosing and consistency and stealth. Um, and drugs on the dark web cover the gambit from purely recreational drugs to the sort of pseudo-pharma, pseudo-recreational drugs, something like an Xanax or an Adderall, all the way over to just purely pharmaceutical drugs people are trying to find cheaper options for because their healthcare isn't covering it, right? And um, this community really tries to take care of itself because – they want to make sure that no one is overdosing because somebody said that a pill was dosed this way and actually it was double that, right? They understand that the risks are associated there. And on the fraud side, you have people who are sort of the information side, right? It kind of covers the gambit from people who are uh, just looking to not have to pay for streaming service to people who are looking to, uh, you know, steal a couple of credit cards or get access to a bank account or commit ID theft, all the way up to your sort of professional, quote unquote, cyber criminals who are running large scale phishing scams to go after all different types of businesses as sort of their main business model, as sort of their main profit machine. People who are building these scalable fraud services so that they can make money that way and then probably go spend it on what? Streaming service subscriptions? (laughs)
1: Well, on that note, Emily, the dark web isn't so dark all the time, but it's
0: definitely complicated. It is, it is definitely complicated. If I can leave you with one final anecdote as we wrap up, uh, you know, it's the end of January here, so I feel like I would be remiss in, in not mentioning that the dark web does celebrate Valentine's Day, among <laughs> its many other holidays. Um, and one vendor, I don't know if it was last year or a couple of years ago, put together what I thought was just an artful package of fraudulent services. It included a Netflix account, a Domino's Pizza scam guide, and an Uber account. It was the Netflix and chill package just in time for Valentine's Day to remind us that the dark web is, it's just like the rest of us.
1: (laughs) I love ending on that. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live.
2: Jason, welcome to Cypher 2020. Here we go. It's been a couple of weeks. I was reading our reviews on Apple Podcasts today, and someone said they really like the podcast except for Cypher. They think that we're annoying. <laughs> so rude. Yeah, but then I also get people being like, I love Cypher. I'm Make trying my thing. best. Yeah. Someone on Twitter DM'd me and said, Hey, I really love Cypher, and I love Cyber. You guys are great, and I love your... Uh, back and forth banter and your knowledge and things of this nature but you say like too much could you just stop that <laughs> which i take to heart but also it's like oh could you just stop doing that thing that makes you really self-conscious <laughs> <laughs> well jason i love your your flowing long locks myself thank you i think they're elegant what i'm trying to say is if you say <laughs> anything mean to me i'm going to find it and it's going to hurt my feelings i know let's get started are you going right, yeah i'm ready i'm ready okay here we go all right, so this is a huge scoop from none other
1: than JC, our boy Jojo Cox. I I want to stop calling him JC. I want to start calling him Jojo
2: Cox. i admit to that. Joe. Jojo Cox, killing it. Some leaked documents. Let's tell me this is a huge story. So Joseph, as well as a reporter at PC Mag, it was a it was a collab collab learned that a vast antivirus, which is used by more than 430 million people around the world, is collecting all of your browsing data and then filtering it through a subsidiary called JumpShot. And then from JumpShot, they're selling it to the biggest corporations on earth. So JumpShot's clients include Google, Microsoft, McKinsey, Bain. Oh God. Yeah, Home Depot, Sephora, Condé Nast. I don't mind Sephora. You, know, you could, They can have your... Uh, they can have my info, you know. yeah. I get a lot so, of products there. I get a lot of nice products there, I gotta say. So there's a lot of background to this story. One, Avast was caught selling data back in, I think, October or maybe December, it was late last year through a browser extension that is on Chrome and Opera and uh, Firefox. And once they were caught doing that, they got kicked off of the Google Chrome store and like the Firefox extension store and what have you. And there were a couple senators who like, Hey, y'all shouldn't be doing this. So they stopped doing that, but then they started—well, I think they were already doing this, but they continued to collect data using their antivirus program, which, as I said, is one of the most popular antiviruses in the world. It has more than 430 million users. So wild. And so not only—like, that's arguably much worse because the antivirus has a, you know, it's more integrated with your system than just your browser. So in theory, they could be collecting more information about your computer itself and so they are collecting data like every click, every search you do on Google, Oof. everything that you buy. sure. Yeah. And they're timing it down to the millisecond. We saw actual consumer data. And so someone could say, hey, you know, this person on Amazon bought a product at this exact millisecond. And then Amazon, if they wanted, could cross-reference that with their own data and use it to de-anonymize the user.
1: Well, you know, this is, this kind of goes back to something we were talking about on our on our end of decade episode and what we're where we're seeing some of the stories going next. And I think one of the things this year we both agreed on was that the next few disclosures are going to be how people are peddling our data. You know, like all of this stuff, it's coming out, and
2: something like this is a perfect illustration of that. Yeah, there were two big responses to this scoop, which was a I mean, a lot of people read it; it was shared widely on the internet one was oh my god this is really bad we need to do something to stop this and the second was is this actually news like which i think is the most annoying thing you can possibly say to a journalist like it's not easy to get documents from within companies and to know the specifics of this i would argue is really important like of course we know that our data of course we know that our data is being sold but the specifics of how it happens, how much it's being sold for, what it's being used for, the exactly. level of granularity—like that's the new information, and that's the scoop, and that's where regulators can get involved. I also just and, think
1: the vastness of it is is unknown. I think it's I think it's 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 I think it's even crazier than what you and I, even though we cover this kind of world,
2: even understand. That's the thing. I have no idea. I mean, Avast is a huge company, but it's like what else? Uh, it's one of. <laughs> dozens if not hundreds or thousands of companies that are doing stuff like this and it's we know that there are cookies all over the internet you know telecom companies have been caught selling this sort of data before so it's not at all surprising but it it is scary and it's also important to know the specifics so that we can a like know what to do about it and b you can make more informed decisions about what products you use Here's another story I love because I love covering this company.
1: And, you know, we used to have Carolyn Haskins, RIP, Carolyn. But Palantir, continuing on that beat, we have Ed on the, Ed on the, Ed on the story. Palantir CEO finally admits
2: to helping ICE deport undocumented immigrants. Yeah. So Palantir CEO is named Jeff Karp. And he was at Davos, of all places. Of course, he's in Davos in some some bunker with the rest of the Illuminati.
1: Anyway, go on. In this
2: interview, he was wearing like a bandana. Like (laughs) he looked like he had just come out of Burning Man. What is that? Yeah, he's so he's Burning Man corporate aesthetic. I don't get it. I I don't. I don't really get it. But he was talking to CNBC and was basically like, "Hey, yes, Palantir products are used to help ICE and DHS deport uh, undocumented immigrants." And we do this in order to protect, quote, the West, which is really weird language. It's it's very coded. Um protect the West? Yeah, the West is very much like it's a Ben Shapiro, like, like uh our culture is being taken away. Oh yeah, that, like that the Judeo Christian like protection unit, like yeah. the, the the Knights Templar. Yeah, it's very, very odd. So in any case, we've known for years that Palantir works with ICE and that they work with Department of Homeland Security, there's been tons of protests by activists as well as, mm-hmm. like, college students and facial recognition people. And it's, you know, Palantir is sort of like, it's not patient zero, but it's one of the most publicly protested companies in America, I would say. Like, people are it's very mad. Yeah, it's, it's up, up there. there.
1: I mean, it's I think it's definitely, for a company that doesn't get a lot of, like, mainstream it, headlines
2: it's it gets also, a lot of hate too yeah and it's also not consumer facing like no. they work with uh you know they work with law enforcement they work with government they it was work a CIA military, uh, it was a CIA funded funded company exactly founded by Peter Thiel and this guy Jeff Carp. in any case um like we've seen documents and we know that they work with ICE and we know that they've been part of the uh, child separation program but every time uh you know Palantir just says no but we don't help deport immigrants.
0: Um, But do you have the ability to say to them, we will (laughs) sell you to this technology for these applications,
1: but not for these ones?
0: Again, we work with uh, HSI, which is a distinct group. Mm -hmm. But no, I mean, like we support the American government. I think our CEO has said many times that Silicon Valley shouldn't be the people who are picking winners and losers. We live in a democracy. We want that democracy to be self-correcting. Uh, many people at Palantir, myself included, have rigorous debate and have many discussions and disagreements about this. But we ultimately think that the impact and the mission of HSI in particular is important enough, um, You know. 3,000 child predators and 850 kids being saved because of our work, um, that this is, it's worth sticking with um, the government in this instance.
2: And now he finally admitted that. So it was very smart of Edward to catch that because they have sort of changed their line a little bit, like slightly tweaked it over the years. And now they've finally just full on admitted like, here's what we do and why we do it.
1: Yeah, no, it's a great story. It's 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 I mean, it's it's worth staying on these these giant companies that actually mean so much to our society that don't always get the attention we need to give them.
2: Yeah. So you have had a series of scoops as well, and there's also been a bunch of movement on the base, which I know we've had a couple episodes about or at least talked about in a few roundups. I think one full episode, a couple yep. roundups. Mm-hmm. So what what's the latest there? So the base is a domestic, I
1: would say, more like an international and domestic neo-Nazi terror group. And they're, one of the latest things that came out about them is that their leader, Ronaldo Nazzaro, that's his, his identity was revealed by The Guardian and BBC. He, we knew him as Norman Spear and Roman Wolf. He is somebody who lives in Russia. So that's one thing. Uh, and there's a we know now that there was a undercover FBI informant who was kind of Taking apart this group, they uncovered that there was a murder plot murder plot against some antifa activists, which is really, really uh, insidious. And then we also know that building off a story that we broke in December, a fugitive Canadian soldier who came over the border illegally was being harbored by the group, and he was also planning on going to a Virginia gun rally to shoot it up.
2: So there's a series of arrests. This is the Virginia gun rally. This like is the, the Virginia yeah. gun rally.
1: I covered it for Vice. It on was, Martin Luther King Day. On Martin Luther King Day. Thousands of
2: thousands of people, activists, yeah. yeah,
1: thousands of people carrying assault rifles in front of the state capitol. It was absolutely mind, mind-blowing in a lot of ways. You're like, this is an army, and there's the government. This is the center of the government for the state, and there's an army outside. It's not the government army. It's the citizen army. I mean, whatever, whatever way you, saw, you, you fall on that spectrum,
2: that's notable, and it's, it's interesting and weird. Yeah. And you were there and I'd like to talk to you about it, but I think let's just wait for the doc to come out. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But
1: we had one also other scoop we want to talk about because it's quite funny. So one of the members. So
2: anyways, they were arrested. They were arrested.
1: So one of the members that was that was that was specifically harboring this Canadian soldier fugitive, Mark Lemley. We found his his Nazi Tinder page. So Nazi Tinder is called it's one of the Nazi Tinders out there. It's called Wasp Love. It's literally for white nationalists and like white supremacists to find love. To find love with someone who's got a similar worldview. And let me tell you, Jason, we found his profile and it was pretty
2: interesting. <laughs> I don't know what the word is. It's, it's definitely, I guess, funny, but it was, it's, it's, there's not a lot funny around.
1: Yeah. I mean, it was,
2: I'm going to pull it up because it
1: was. The, some I guess the lines it, like were, some of
2: it is pretty banal in that it's just like oh I'm just looking to uh, have babies and yeah
1: but also like I'm looking to like find someone who also
2: hates hates everybody <laughs> yeah so there have been a lot of studies or at least a couple studies suggesting that there really aren't that many women on these sites. No, they're not not like super active.
1: No, but we do know that he actually did. I mean, to some extent he he was on there and, and I know that there are actually women on it. Yeah. But anyway, I think it was just more this just sort of this ridiculous story that we found this guy who's now charged with being a part of this crazy domestic terror group. And he was out there like on a limb trying to find, you know, love and not just any type of love. Nazi love, my friend,
2: yeah, I think it's uh it is instructive and and notable, like these people have normalized their hate to the level that a they're open about it, but b there's still people who have to like be out there in the world, and yes. this is sort of evidence of that. I think we often talk about this as a very amorphous theoretical thing, but these are real people making real terror plans. And also living their lives among us.
1: Yeah, exactly. And like, it's, I hate to say it, but it's kind of like Nazi terrorists, they're like us too. Kind of weird story where it's just like in the midst of all this just horrific stuff these people are saying, they're also like, yeah, I need to find a wife and make a homestead. And it's uh, it's it's a weird thing, you know, I, this whole investigating this entire group. And we were the ones who originally broke the news of this group's
2: existence to begin with in 2018. Yeah, you were embedded in various of their chat rooms and yeah. that sort of thing.
1: And I think the craziest thing now, looking back on it and seeing where it's be- what it's become, is that it has become exactly what we thought it would. A scary domestic terror organization that was plotting real violence and also trying to find Nazi love. Yeah. Well, that is The Cypher. Thanks for having me. Bye. This week's episode was recorded by Brian Arnold, edited by Ricardo Contreras, and produced and voiced by me, Ben Maku. You'll hear from us next week. Traffic jams, tailgating, pileups. Ugh, the joys of driving.